Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host all the way from Tucson, PK. How are you tonight? Fabulous. It's cool and windy, but it's beautiful. Ooh, you must have some gorgeous sunsets at this time of year. God, for sure we do. They have been just beautiful. Some are just well, I have to send you a few more of them. Some of my listeners give us a new look at things that I had not even thought about. The colors are fantastic. Well, send them over. We'll put them on our Facebook page. Yeah, I, I should do that. I will do that. Yes, please. Oh, some people get a heck of a lot better views than I do because they, they're hikers and they get out into the desert and whatever. And some of the things they get are just absolutely marvelous. Oh, of course, geez. my hike, hiking to the com, to the computer and looking at what somebody else put up there. <laughs> but I get to use my own front yard, though. But uh, some of the things that they come up with are just magnificent. Oh, good. We would love to see. We'll share them with everybody. Arizona is magical, no question about it. Right now, so what's going on? What's going on with with numbers? What's happening? We're still in crazy town. With so many well, things of course we're going wild here around us. So lots of earthquakes. Everything is all about change. Nothing is normal. The year itself is all about change. Good to bad, bad to good, but change nonetheless. And this month, people want to take control of some things, and it's just not breaking the way we want it to. I guess you could say that if you look at Washington, not going the way we wanted to. Nonetheless, it's been very, very crazy. But I was taking a look at things. You know, our first name tells everybody who we are if we look into it deeply. But the first letter of our name has a lot to say. So if a person's first letter is A, J, or S, they're a one personality, which makes them very independent very creative, very progressive, and very strong-willed and rather stubborn. Mm. And if they have B, T, or K as the first letter of their name, there are two personalities. They're very loving, very cooperative. They're good followers, very diplomatic and very generous, and very patient and friendly. So that makes it nice. And if we take a look at the C, L, and U, that's a three And those are people that are very imaginative, very charming, very artistic, very friendly. So we we keep forgetting that the first letter of our name has a lot to say about us. So if it's a D, M, or V, 
it's a four, meaning they're very practical, very dependable, very good at building things, and they just have a way of making you feel very devoted. Now, mm. the five personality, which is a E, N, or W, they have a great desire for change and variety, which is like the year we're in right now. So it's a lot of mental curiosity, adventuresome, and the need to be progressive. But good judgment is very necessary at this time also. So if a person is a F, O, or X as the first letter of their name, that's a six, and that's a very strong foundation. makes them very responsible, a lot of devotion to harmony and balance, absolutely great for family, family-type situations. If they have a GP or a Y, that's a seven, and the foundation is built upon mental analysis, introspection, being very spiritual, quality, intuition, perfection. Sound like anybody you know, Patricia? Oh, I can't <laughs> even imagine who that would be. <laughs> I don't know either. And the H, Q, and Z is an eight. These are qualities of leadership, practicality, good judgment, very dependable good managers, and can be very materialistic. And the nine is the I or R, and their basic things are about love, compassion, sympathy, generosity, understanding. They're very devoted to the world at large. So take a look at the first letter of your name. Think about what we've just said, and you might be surprised at the things that you have available to you that you just kind of bypassed. Yeah. Just a thought. Very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. So as you know, we have been also sharing the Grabavoid numbers that mm-hmm. are source code radionic numbers that people have been working with to help them manifest what they want, whether it's better health or a better looking bank account or finding a soulmate. So these numbers are very powerful. We keep getting more stories about how these numbers are working in people's lives. So tonight, I wanted to give everybody the numbers to work with to win the lottery. Why not, right? So the number, I think the grip, do you want that number, PK? (laughs) Sure. You betcha. All right. It is, get your pens out, everybody. It's 461056. Seven. Again, that's four six one zero five six seven. And what you do with these numbers is you write them down. You can put them on your lottery ticket. You can put it under your pillow, put it in your wallet. You always want to keep the numbers right side up. And some people say that they're more powerful when you visualize these numbers in silver. So there's a lot to be said for these Grabavoy codes. They're a lot of fun to work with. So give it a try and let us know what happens. I also posted on our Facebook page a beautiful meditation called Golden Sunrise. And because going along with the Grabavoy numbers, we're going to start giving you switch words. Now, switch words work in the same way that the Grabavoy numbers work. They're codes. So... I posted a great meditation with music on our Facebook page called Golden Sunrise, two switch words. 
to help you not just start your day, but to manifest what you would like. So give that a listen. It's very relaxing. You can even play it before you go to sleep. Play it when you wake up. It's lovely to listen to. So give that a whirl and let us know what you think and what happens differently in your life. We want all good things for you. Mm-hmm. So that's our gift to you tonight. And also be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're also on MeWe. You can follow us there. Keep up with all of the things that we're posting. There is an article on the site that's very interesting about immortality. It was in Popular Science. There is this incredible way, they're saying, that may may come to be in the next 10 years or so that will make us immortal. So go over to the Facebook page and give that a read. Very interesting stuff. And, of course, our usual UFO stories, because UFOs are appearing everywhere, it seems. So people are doing a great job taking videos, photographs, and we grab them whenever we can, and we put them on the Facebook page for you to see. And let us know what you think. Real, ours, theirs, let us know. So tonight we have an amazing guest. We've been so lucky to have her join us tonight. Her name is Dr. Irina Scott, and we're talking about UFOs, 70 years of lies, misinformation, and government cover-up with Dr. Scott. Now, she has been studying this for many, many years, and I have a long list of her credentials, too long to read every one of them, or we'd never get to talk to her, but that's how esteemed she is in the field. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Scott. She received her Ph.D. from the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine in Physiology. She did postdoctoral research at Cornell University and has had a professorship at St. Bonaventure University. Her M.S. was from the University of Nevada, her B.S. from Ohio State University in Astronomy and Biology. And she has done research and teaching at the Ohio State University College of Medicine, and the University of Nevada. The Defense Intelligence Agency employed her in Ph.D.-level GS-11 research in satellite photography, including in its air order of battle section, which involved aircraft identification with above-top-secret sensitive compartmented information clearances. She was a volunteer astronomer at the Ohio State University Radio Observatory Big Ear, noted for the WOW SETI signal that might be humanity's only signal from ET. She's, again, an amateur astronomer and is taking flight lessons. Is there anything this woman hasn't done? I don't think so. So she also served on the MUFON board of directors, 1993 to 2000, and it is a MUFON consultant in physiology and astronomy and a field investigator. Her most recent books on UFOs are UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Disinformation, and Government Cover-Up, Inside the Lightning Ball, Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiencers, and Sacred Corridors, Secrets Behind the Real Project Blue Book. She has taken a scientific approach to UFO phenomena and published papers about UFO data in peer-reviewed scientific journals. 
including the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Oh, my gosh. We are so lucky to have you here. Dr. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's definitely our pleasure because, as we've been discussing off air, this is one of our top subjects, and our audience wants to know. We all know we've been lied to, but we want to know the truth. So tell us how you got into this. How did you get into the whole UFO field? Uh, The way I got into it was uh, that they always claim that scientists don't have UFO experiences. Well, um, I had UFO experiences, and I had several of them with my sister. And so um, in spite of being in science and things, I'm very open-minded on in the subject of UFOs, and I was dormant for a long time and in the closet, but I finally scratched my way out of the closet, and so now I talk about them. Well, that must have taken some scratching because way back when, this was a very taboo subject. People were really ridiculed, talking, even talking about it, right? Well, I didn't talk about it for a long time. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with your sister. Was Did these things happen when you were younger, as, as children, or when you were adults? When did these experiences take place? Well, we had sort of an unusual experience because um, there's people that uh, Jenny Randall's wrote a book about, I think she called Star Children, about that sometimes children have sightings like in their bedrooms of small orbs, and then when they become older, they may have um, regular UFO sightings. Well... My sister and I are the only two people I've ever heard of that had sightings together when we were young kids, and then later when we were adults. At the time, we didn't talk about them, but um, we had one when we were real young. It was before we ever heard of UFOs or aliens or rocket ships or anything else. It was years before we ever heard of UFOs, and we were just little kids, and we were poor, and... Um, when our parents put in electricity, they bought a radio. And that was our media. But we didn't hear anything about UFOs until years later. But it was when I was about six and she was about four. And we were sleeping on opposite sides of an upstairs attic room. Um, and it it was clear weather. It's something neither of us ever forgot, and a lot of families didn't forget it either because it was weird. We didn't have any idea what it was, but um, I just remember I woke up, and there was this thing flying around inside our room. It looked like a little piece of hot metal. The um, uh, the lights were off and everything. It was dark in the room, and even at that age, we realized there was something weird about it because it kind of knew where it was going. It didn't bump into, there was furniture in the room, walls and things, and it didn't bump into anything. Even though it was dark, if it 
came to a wall, it just turned and went someplace else. And it came to furniture, it turned and went like it could see, even though the room was dark. And it was, yeah, I was just curious, and I didn't know she was awake. She apparently knew I was awake. But I just watched it and wondered what on earth this thing is. It was kind of small, and it had a glow around it. It was like hot metal, and maybe it was about an inch in diameter. And it just flew around. It didn't blink or anything. And I had no idea what it was, and I was just watching it with curiosity. And then it flew up to the ceiling, but it turned before it got to the ceiling, and it flew on the ceiling to where there was a chandelier in the middle of the room and ceiling. And it was an attic room, and the walls sloped upwards, and they came together at the ceiling about three or four feet apart, and the chandelier was between the walls. Well, whatever this thing was, it seemed to know where the chandelier was and know where the walls were, and it just flew over to where the chandelier was, and then it began to circle it between um, the two walls and about the same distance from the chandelier, like it knew where the walls and the chandelier was. Well, it circled for quite a while, and then it just came in a perfectly geometrical spiral down under the chandelier. Well, at that time, suddenly... Both of us became terrified, just really, really, really terrified. The thing might have disappeared around that time. And we were so terrified, we ran to leave the room and um, bump into each other and fell down the stairs. And went oh, my shrieking. goodness. And, and um, they didn't believe us. But what was weird about it was is that we apparently both woke up at the same time and um, the thing was in the room and the doors were closed and the windows were closed so I don't know how it got there and then another funny thing was we both became scared, terrified suddenly at the same time and it wasn't due to ideas of UFOs or anything because we never even heard of UFOs and it was years before we ever did so um, it was just pretty strange experience and something no one forgot, even though we didn't understand it until many, many, many years later. Well, looking at it today, what do you what do you think this thing was? I have no idea, but it worried me that we might have experienced some kind of mind control because we both woke up at the same time and we right. had no idea why we woke up at the same time. There was no noise or anything. And then we both became terrified at the same time. And it makes you wonder, was something in our minds some way? Mm-hmm. And then um, we didn't know how it got in the room or anything. And so it made us also wonder if there was something we forgot. But um, it was just very, very strange. But it was also very, very terrifying. Imagine so. What part of the country did you live in at that time? We were in Ohio, just north of Columbus, Ohio. Uh Uh-huh. Goodness gracious. Is there a hot spot for UFOs? Well, uh, later I did a survey of the neighborhood many, many years later when I was in science and just 
did it, and there were a lot of UFO sightings around the area. Mm. Um, I think Columbus, Ohio, is is kind of a hot spot, and so is Dayton, Ohio. And you talked about this thing looking like it was hot metal. Was it a color? Was it a bright red? That is that what made you think it was hot metal? Well, it looked like real hot iron, like you'd see at a blacksmith shop or something like that when somebody, or molten iron or something like that. It was sort of mm-hmm. that color. Wow. Scary. Mm. Yeah, especially since you couldn't figure out how it got in there, and it did have some effect over both of you that was simultaneous. That is amazing. And everything closed up on top of it. That's what, That's the surprising thing. Yeah. Wow. So your parents didn't believe you. They thought you just made it all up? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that's, you go to parents for safety, and here you are feeling <laughs> scared. They don't believe you. Oh, oh my goodness. That's, that's, well, that's they told us to, yeah, they told us to go back upstairs and <laughs> threaten to hail us or something. Oh, boy. And go back up we were terrified so finally my father went up and he said everything's okay and we very reluctantly went back up but we didn't see anything like that again never huh and we don't even know why we were terrified either because you know like if you had heard of ufos or something you might think this is a ufo and get scared but like we had no idea what it was at all it's yeah it's so abstract and and so unusual I don't think we've ever heard a story like this before, have we, PK? I don't think so. That's I'm sitting here thinking. At that, the ages that they were to be put in a position where they're looked at as if they don't believe what they say they see, and uh, you can go back up to that same room. I don't know if I'd want to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is a wild, wild experience. But clearly it did have some interaction with you, like you mentioned, whether it was mind control or something, because you both were alerted at the same time and you both got scared at the same time. Yeah. And then you and headed for the stairs of... at the same time to and bumped into each other. Oh, my goodness. I fell down the stairs, yeah. Oh, <laughs> We were Ouch. sort of scrambling to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So... I mean, there's no frame of reference for that. There really isn't. It's that yeah, unusual. I had, no frame, I had no frame of reference whatsoever until I read Jenny Randall's book about childhood experiences with little orbs in their bedrooms and things like that. And that was similar to what we had, except there were two of us, and it usually happens to one person. And usually the orbs, the way I've read about them, and I know we've had people talking about them, they seem a little friendlier, and usually they're light. Light orbs, mm-hmm. not metal orbs. This is a whole different thing. Well, that's just part of, I mean, surprising. It was, sort of, it was sort of shaped like a cough drop or something, sort of elongated, I think, although I'm not sure. You know, it was a long hmm. time ago. But then it sort of had a glow around it, too. And they were scoping you guys out, that's for sure. Well, it seemed like it got close to us several, <laughs> both of us several times. It was just kind of in a browsing motion to start with, like it was just looking around the room or something, but it got kind of close to both of us. 
Oh, my. Oh, wow, that's an interesting experience <laughs> from childhood. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, so that kind of set the stage for you to have an interest later in life about this. Well, we had a, another experience with a UFO together later when we were older, too. Oh, really? Uh-huh. What was that one like? Well, that one was a very complicated, involved one. And at the time I was working for the Defense Intelligence Agency, I had a high-level job and high-level clearance. And I was working in a section of called Air Order of Battle where we identified aircraft, and it was uh, using satellite photography. And I had quite a bit of training for that. My sister was, I was in Washington, D.C., and my sister was living in um, in New Jersey and attending Drew University is, with postgraduate work. And so we were both on the East Coast, and we decided to take a vacation since we were both there, and she was going to leave and I was going to leave. So um, we decided to go up and see the New England states. And um, I took some co-workers with me and went up to who wanted to see New York and drove up to her place at Drew and picked her up and left off the co-workers. And we were going to go to Boston and stay all night and then go up the East Coast and look around, you know, Maine and stuff and come back down and then go back um, and just see the states. But anyway, I drove up to uh, Boston, near Boston, and it was still daylight. So I decided to go farther. And we went up into New Hampshire. And later I found out that we were kind of in the area where part of the hill, uh, Betty and Barney Hill experience took place. I don't know if that had anything to do with anything. But um, I didn't know that at the time either. But we just went up to New Hampshire and turned around and came back. And then we were going to look for a place to stay in Boston to stay the night. Well, I drove into Boston, and every place we looked, the hotels and everything were full. And so I asked somebody, and finally they said, well, go around the outer belt and look for hotels and things. So I was heading out the outer belt. And as I, we went out to the outer belt, there was a airport south of Boston called the Norwood Memorial Airport, and it was a small airport. And you could see planes coming in from the east, and they would turn their landing lights on and stuff, and land. Or uh, you could see their their red and green wing lights and their landing lights and stuff, and just see them come in over the freeway, uh, we were, at that time, when we first noticed that we were heading toward the outer belt, and um, what was funny was, is there was this other craft or lighter object also, but it didn't look anything like the airplanes, it was just a very, very white light that was blinking, it seemed to be lower than the airplanes, and my sister kept looking at that and saying, it, it was really odd, and saying, I wonder if it's a UFO. 
And I kept telling her, well, it's a helicopter. And I thought she just flipped her lid. And so we were kind of arguing. And we continued, and then we got on the outer belt, and we were driving south, and it was still in, in south of us and sort of heading south. And she, we kept arguing about it. And um, I guess the reason she thought it was odd was because she said it would be one place and then it would just be someplace else. And I didn't notice that because I was driving. But mm-hmm. we we went to Route 9, or, I mean Route 1, or Route 95, which is the, the um, freeway that goes along the coast. There was a woods on the west side, and I saw this globe of light in the woods. And I couldn't figure out what it was. It, it uh, was like a ball of light, like glass or something. And on the inside, it was like it had a spectrum. And um, the it was like the... It, like it would go through all shades of red and then all shades of blue and then all shades of red and just kept blending into that. And when we went drove by it, well, the inside of the car lit up in green, and it lit up for a while, and I couldn't figure out why on earth it was green. And I looked around, nothing was green, and the funny light I saw wasn't green. It seemed to be like it was on the ground or close to the ground in the woods. So we continued on. And we were still arguing about the other thing we were watching. And I just, I told my sister, you know, if that was a UFO, well, all the newspapers would be out and the reporters would be out and the police would be out and everything else. So it couldn't be. And she said no. She thought it was something strange. And I didn't even look at it. So after a while, she began screaming at me to get off <laughs> to get off the road because it's going to go over the road. And I I told her, you know, it's a helicopter. You're crazy. And I was going to call her a dingbat or something. And I looked out the wind. I did park, you know, drive off because she was yelling at me and everything. And I was going to point at it and say, see, it's a helicopter. And then I looked way off and I could see something that looked like a meteor. And then right where that meteor was, this thing came over the road. And at that point, I realized she was right and I was wrong. Oh. But, <laughs> and apparently at that time, it shone a light in the car, and she said she saw it shine a light in the car, sort of a blue light. But I didn't see that, but maybe that's because I was on the side, and maybe she saw the car light up or something, and I didn't. But I didn't see it, but she did. And then... um it came over, and it very slowly came over the road, very low. And it had seven square windows. And we looked at them. It made no sound whatsoever. You couldn't see wings. You couldn't see anything. It was just like shaped like a cough drop or something. It was kind of elongated. And it had these big seven windows. And we looked at them and asked each other, if they were panels or windows, because we'd seen lots, when we grew up, there was a freeway through our farm, and we'd seen lots of lamps with displays on them that lit up and things. And we asked each other, is this panels or is it 
windows, and we both thought it was windows, and we both thought we were looking inside it. And it had a blinking pattern of, I don't know the exact, it was like it was um, maybe the first three windows would blink on and off twice, and then all seven, and then the last four, and then it recycled through that. It had a very small, non-blinking red light on one end and blue light on the other. And it was going crosswise to our line of vision. And it was very, very slow and um, very soundless. And the airplanes were up above it. And we just couldn't figure out what it was. And so anyway, I was in working in photography for the DIA. And I had a Polaroid camera in my um, back seat and a in real high speed film in the trunk. And so I dug out the camera and the film and was loading the camera. And I thought this this would just be amazing because I'd take the most amazing picture of a UFO that anybody ever saw. And I would it, you could see the seven windows and everything and there was a freeway so it might light up with cars going by and I thought oh, you know, this is just amazing. I'm going to get an amazing picture of the inside of a UFO. And if I get, you know, I can get it in stereo if I get several pictures and things. Well, I was just ready to take the picture. And this truck driver drove over and parked in front of us and came up. Oh. And he said, what are you doing or what are you looking at or something? And due to the fact he was a man and we were two women standing there, I really wanted to take the picture, but I was scared of him. And so I, and then I couldn't believe he couldn't see it because we were both there looking at it. And I said, I didn't say UFO or anything weird like that. I just said, what's that? And acted like it was an airplane. Well, he just rotated around looking exactly opposite direction of where it was. And then he rotated back and looked at me and said, I don't see anything. And at that point, I thought, that man's crazy. And then he <laughs> asked me the same thing again. And I pointed, and he rotated around, looked in the opposite direction. And then he said, I don't see anything. And then he so, he pointed to his head like he was giving me the crazy sign. And he went back to his truck. Well, I missed the best picture I could ever take. And I was feeling terrible. And... Then the object went over the airport and began to circle. And it had this funny, it had this um, sort of pattern where it would go slowly from south to north in half a circle and blink on and off and on and off twice. Then from the north to the south, it was so fast you couldn't even see it. You just had to sort of remember it went. And then it would go back and it just kept circling like that. And the airplanes were above it, and no airplanes seemed to be landing then. And we were both watching the airplanes and wonder if they um, if they knew what was if they were watching it or something. And so, anyway, I heard sounds like a jet or something, but it wasn't in phase with the circling, and I couldn't figure out. I'm sure it was going faster than the speed of sound, whatever it was, but it would go through the fast phase. And my sister kept saying that she thought it was sending out a signal to us. And I couldn't figure out what on earth she 
talking about either. And I never did. And she said she just thought there was some signal. But she didn't understand why, and she didn't understand what it was. And I didn't understand why she thought that. But she still says that she thought it was sending a signal to us. And I just recently found out that when I talked to the truck driver, she didn't know he was there. And I found that she found a letter um, a month ago that <laughs> she'd written right after it happened to my mother. But anyway, after that, I was I was just, just really disappointed that I didn't get the good picture. And so I was going to get on the freeway and go down to the next intersection and turn around and come back. I didn't know, you know, what direction it was going to go, but I thought it was going to change direction. We had been going south, and it was going south. But I thought it was going to change direction and go north. And so I was going to turn around and come back north in case it let, because I didn't know what direction it was going to go. And I wanted to try to get a picture. And so I did. I drove into the freeway. Well, the truck driver, he would he had been watching us. Well, oh, how not, creepy. Wasn't that I know. I was still trying to take a picture, and I finally ran up a hill and got a time exposure of it, of its blinks, and then I ran back down. And then I got in the car and took off, and the truck driver got right behind us, right oh my on my God. tail. Oh, and heavens. That's scary. Right like Oh, it was, because I thought we were going to die. He turned his bright lights on and in my mirror so I couldn't see anything. I was blinded and followed us. And if I slowed down, he slowed down. If I switched lane, he switched lane. And so I know he was chasing us. And I thought about stopping to ask him what he was doing. And I thought, that's no, that's not a good idea. So I floored it. And just went as fast as I could. Well, he just went as fast as he could, and he was in a truck. And so finally, I didn't know what to do, and I thought he was going to kill us because I was just blind and I couldn't see. And so I thought, I'll go to the next intersection and turn off very suddenly from the left-hand side of the road. And maybe with a big truck, he couldn't turn that fast. That was a real dangerous thing to do because if somebody was coming on the right-hand side, we would smash into it and get him, you know, killed or something. But anyway, I did it, and we got rid of him, as far as I could tell. So I drove back onto the freeway, and the thing was, when I got back up to where it was, it was still circling, but then it headed northwest, and the roads went north and south and east and west, so I had to keep zigzagging. But I went by the place where the round thing had been, and the car lit up in green again, the inside of the car. And so I kept following it. And finally we were in this, um, we got in this real bad road. It was gravel and the houses were real far apart and there wasn't any place to turn around. And it was going slow, but not as slow as I had to go in the car. And I couldn't catch up with it. it, although it was going pretty slow. There were bumps in the road and everything. And so finally I just gave up because I wasn't getting any closer and the road was bad and I was afraid the car was going to get fall apart if I kept going over bumps. So we turned around and came back and we still couldn't find a hotel. So we went on back to 
Drew to her dormitory and slept. And then, um, well, first of all, we called our parents and told them what happened. And we also told her roommate. And um, they didn't believe us. And oh, then, for heaven's sake. I was trying to get a hold of the man that I was supposed to take back. And so I waited a long time. And I didn't hear from him, so I finally started back. And when I got back to Washington, it was after dark. And then I had a poltergeist experience, and I'd never heard of poltergeist before. And then I went back. Yeah, I was really worried about it. And then I went back to work and went back. <laughs> Everything was normal. But I, oh, my gosh. Working. What <laughs> an adventure. That's a, ter- yes. a terrifying story. I, what do you make of this with this truck driver? Irina, because I mean, I, he was—he came to you in a threatening manner, as if it was any of his business what you were doing by the side of the road. You felt so threatened, you didn't take the picture. What do you think was going on? I was real happy when he pulled over and approached us because I thought, oh, there's another witness; he will see it, and I'll, we'll have somebody else to see it too. Right. Well, then he came up there and asked, "What are you doing?" Like he had no idea. And the thing had been right over his truck when it, he was the only traffic I noticed. And it had been right over his truck when he went under it before he parked in front of us. And I couldn't imagine why he was asking, what are you doing when this thing was right there? And I pointed at it. And then he turned the opposite direction and said, I don't see anything. And he did that twice. And um, in thinking about it, I thought he was pretty weird and might have been associated with the UFO some way instead of being a normal person. I don't trying know, to deter you from seeing anything. Well, something like that. Yeah. Good grief. It had to be yeah. unnerving, to say the least. Well, we nearly got killed, and it was pretty unnerving. And that's yeah, because... Driving up behind you like that with his bright lights in your mirror so you couldn't see anything. I mean, it's he was definitely doing much more than harassing you. And yet it, didn't, it doesn't make sense why somebody would do something like that. And then continuing to watch you, that's also so creepy. It's almost like yeah. he's in cahoots with what was going on. They didn't want Somehow. them to really be able to say what they actually saw. Yeah. Trying to block well, him he, mm. Yeah, he seemed to be telling me I was crazy. Like I wasn't really seeing it or something. And, so strange. You know. Oh. God. It was strange. So was these are scary. two very unusual experiences that you and your sister have been through, but it did solidify for you that these things are real. And now you're here to tell us about the fact that the government knows they're real too, right? And they just aren't coming forth with the truth about this. I hope they are because, you know, a lot of things like that happen to people. And, you know, I always have the worry in the back of my mind it could happen again and I could get killed. And Mm -hmm. it'd be, you know, if the same thing happened, it'd just be like I had a traffic accident. It wouldn't be like... You know, you can say, well, a UFO was having a UFO experience because nobody would believe me. Mm-mm. Well, no, today, that's depth, it, negative situation. Yeah, things are, have, have changed so that people 
are much more open to talking about it, hearing about it, less likely to call somebody crazy because now everybody has a cell phone. They can actually take their own pictures and videos, and that's been exactly what they've been doing. So according to one of our guests, who's former FBI, he said they're no longer denying it because they can't because all of this evidence is overwhelming coming from the general public. But you have inside information. You've worked with people who, well, your husband worked for Area 51. So what did he tell you about Area 51? Well, I'm sure it was in... um, uh, I'm sure he had a security clearance. And um, so I don't know if he told me. He didn't say much. He just said, you know, that they developed airplanes and things. He didn't say anything like it was really, um, that it had anything to do with UFOs. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he knew either. I mean, he had a high security clearance, but... Um, he didn't say too much. Well, they no, can't very well, that's for sure. Yeah. That's the part that's because him having that kind of a, a, a security clearance puts him in a position where he can't say anything, and if he does, it puts you in a negative situation. Good grief. Yeah, I don't know whether he really knew anything or not, um, but he worked there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said they had... The airplanes that they used later developed way years before uh, they started flying and things like that. So what do you think the purpose is of keeping this away from the public? What is the purpose of giving out disinformation, of covering up? Why are they doing that? What's your take on that? I, I think when it started the very early part of it that um, some places thought that it was from other countries and they sort of classified it as foreign technology like it came from, like they were coming from Russia or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think everybody thought that, but some people thought it. And so at first it was sort of classified in the military because they were studying foreign technology and the military has classified secrets. I mean, everything the military secret is that they're studying other countries and things like that, called intelligence. And so at first, I think maybe the whole subject was kind of classified as foreign technology while they were trying to figure out whether it was from Earth, other countries, or from other planets, or what it could have been. And I think that's one reason why it was initially classified as secret. But, so they didn't know what they um, were dealing with, is what you're saying. They weren't sure, so they just began classifying it. Yeah, I'd say that that's why they classified it originally. But I think it always stayed with the military from then on, and there it's might be a threat to people. And so they, um, it's still in the military. If it had been classified under scientific exploration, I think it would have been not secret. Well, there's a 
A lot of rumors about President Eisenhower having met with extraterrestrials. And have you heard those stories? I'm sure you have. Yeah, they had his granddaughter on TV saying that um, he met with or had seen E.T. or something. Yeah, and then the the story goes that after having met with them, even though they came in peace, he didn't feel that we as a population were ready to hear this. So he classified everything, made it a big secrecy program, and then it grew tentacles from there into more lies, more disinformation, more cover-up. But the rumor is it started with him. I don't know, because there's just rumors. There's nothing official, mm-hmm. although having his granddaughter say that might <laughs> sort of... does give you but, thought. Laura? Yeah, you're talking about Laura? Yeah, I forget which granddaughter. Laura Eisenhower, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we talked to her about that also, and and other people. It does seem to make sense. This had to have a point of origination. So uh, this is, it, again, it never stopped. All of the secrecy, all of this, you know, and they really went after people. They really went after people who had bona fide experiences, like you and your sister, people who talked about it, people who wrote books about it. And yeah, it well, was they, yeah. they ridiculed people. Yeah. They threatened some people. They threatened a lot of the people from Roswell. They threatened the grandchildren of the people from Roswell. Mm-hmm. So it, it went beyond just, you know, uh saying these are bad people. They threatened their lives. If you talk about this, we are going to kill your whole family. That's what some of the researchers of of the Roswell incident came back with, and that was a recent uh-huh. book. That that just that research was done in the last few years. So it's, I mean, they the military really took this very seriously to the point where uh, civilian lives uh, it didn't matter; they could be threatened. Some of them, there's rumors that they were not suicides; they were murders in talking about this and some mm-hmm. of the things that went on underground in facilities. So, I mean, there's just such a deep rabbit hole with this. But you do know that they had technology from off-world, right, from your research? Well, that's the, that's what they say. I don't know. Um, what I One of the things I was exploring was is that um, I worked at the Tell Memorial Institute which is a research institute, and they did a UFO study, um, which was top secret at the time. And what they it was in the nineteen early fifties. It was called Spatial Report fourteen, and what it was is that they were doing statistic doing a statistical analysis. They we're using observations from Project Blue Book, and they divided things. They looked, they had about thirteen thousand observations or cases, and they winnowed that down to about three thousand, which is still a lot of data the, of the very best ones. And then they divided it up into sightings of objects that were explained later, 
and sightings of objects that were never explained and compared the two groups statistically. Well, um, this was a secret study. And they came out with uh, really high significant differences, like there's one chance in a, a million that UFOs against UFOs being real is that it, um, the 999999 chances that they are real statistically. And so um, this was a classified study, but it was a real good scientific study that basically showed that in a scientific way that it it's a real phenomenon. But they were doing it in secret, and it was a top-secret study, while at the same time they were saying that UFOs don't exist, and Project Blue Book was debunking UFOs. So they were talking Amazing. on both sides of their face. What a surprise. Yeah, they've been doing that religiously. How many years now? <laughs> yeah. Well, at that time, they were doing a something called the Robertson study, where they um, were having a panel of real top scientists investigate the data and then declare whether or not there's UFOs. And they were supposed to use the Battelle data. Well, what happened was is that Battelle didn't have the data in shape to do anything with then. They hadn't processed it to where they had conclusions and things. And so they had this memo called, it's called the Pinnacle Memo, which had a list of Battelle people in it that Battelle scientists who said, we don't have the data for this. But the... um, study went ahead, right ahead anyway. They didn't care if they had data or not. And the study said UFOs, it didn't say they don't exist. They said there's no threat from UFOs. And that people, that the authorities should make fun of people and harass them that report UFOs. Well, this is real hypocritical because at the same time they were doing a scientific study that were saying, yes, they're real. And the only reason anybody knew about it was that there was a whistleblower at Battelle that made the um, the memo, put it out in places where people could find it. And so, you know, it, it just very, very definitely confirmed that the authorities were lying. It had big shot scientists on it, including the president of Battelle, which I talked about in my last book, Sacred Corridors. So that's one terrific example of how we've been lied to about all of this. And <clears throat> what about Project Blue Book itself? Because you know a lot about that. That was in your your book, um, your other book, Inside the Lightning Ball. What And Sacred uh, Corridors, I mean. what What did you find out about Project Blue Book? Well, I, it it started out with several projects 
One was the very uh, first project to study UFOs was Project Sign, and it was done in sort of a scientific way, such that they considered maybe they're extraterrestrial, or maybe there's something we don't know about, and they also considered that they're misidentifications and things like that. But they were pretty open-minded about it, and then they came out with a report that nobody's ever found any copies of whatsoever where they said these this is a truly mysterious phenomena. And I don't remember the report, but people did, but the government just collected it and disposed of it. And they decided to take a um, more debunking attitude, and the next project was called Project Grudge because they were debunking UFOs. Then they had Project Blue Book, which it was an outgrowth of these two earlier things. And Project Blue Book lasted a number of years, I think from uh, maybe 50, uh, 1948 until 1969. And um, Project Blue Book started with some people that were pretty open-minded and considering that they might be real. And at first, but they were also debunking them. And they hired Dr. Alan Hynek, who was a professor at OSU, Ohio State University, an astronomy professor. And they first of all hired him as a debunker because he didn't believe in UFOs and he thought they were all fooey or fooey or whatever you call it. And so that whenever, you know, anybody reported a UFO, he could say, well, this is Venus. You know, somebody said, oh, I saw this UFO laying in my yard and somebody got out of it. Wait, well, he'll say, well, you saw Venus. And so anyway, that's how he got hired. He was actually hired because he had some security clearances. And But he was very scientific about his job. And he actually listened to people and noticed that a lot of people were real respectable, credible people. They weren't all lunatics like they presented, that a lot of pilots and um, scientists and things like that actually saw UFOs too and had experiences. And so as he continued, he became more and more convinced that these people are telling the truth and they're not all nuts. And so anyway, after um, after the Blue Book ended, and it, Blue Book was just going, it was going in the debunker side. I mean, anything was, anything you saw, no matter how good it was, was debunked by Blue Book. Well, Heineck mm-hmm. was going the opposite direction and thinking there's something to it. And he wrote several books, and then he tried to, he started his own organization for studying after Blue Book ended that was done in a scientific way. And he wrote and he became a believer, it. right? Because Heineck started out a skeptic, but he did become a believer. I don't know if you call him a believer. I just think he had a real scientific attitude. I, I, don't, I don't think he had anything to religion or believing. I think he just thought that, you know, after a while that 
people were telling the truth, a lot of people, and right. that there was something really going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't mean it in a religious way. I just meant it that he was. Yeah. He actually took people at face value who were credible witnesses, and yeah, and knew that this was a real thing. Yeah. Eventually, he thought it was real, and gave reasons for it. And he's called the father of ufology now because he did such a scientific job and wrote papers. And he was astronomer the whole time too. And, uh, a good professor and studying the stars and coming out with scientific papers on that too. Yeah. So that's a good example of something that at least made it into the public domain, but then was, was shut down as they were finding. And as Dr. Hynek was seeing that this stuff was in fact real. So now, I mean, what do you see happening now? Because we've had, the the Tic Tac sighting that was reported in mainstream media, and we've had the Pentagon come out saying that they do have off-world technology. So what do you make of all that? Well, it's better than it had been. Um, in 2017, the New York Times gave that first story about it, that uh, the government was studying UFOs and brought that to public attention and mentioned the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, the ATIP. And then um, also the um, Tic Tac and all that, where the jet pilots said, yes, they actually saw these objects and they had them, I think they had them on radar just going mm-hmm. way faster than anything anybody could imagine. Anything, you know, that our type of um, that our technology can do. Yes, it was way advanced, way beyond us and any of things that we could even think about doing. So, but they are at least coming out and saying, "Yep, we, you know, here's the video. Yes, we do have that." And I believe before President Trump left office, there was something about a a report that he said would be made public about everything we know about UFOs, or at least something that they know about UFOs, which would be encouraging. I mean, that would be really yeah. nice to see after all this time. I and mean, we let's face it, the people that have been in the know about this, I mean, when you know, you know. These things are real. And the skepticism, there's skeptics who are going to be skeptical about it, no matter what evidence is produced, but more and more people are seeing our government as a bunch of liars that don't want to tell us the truth, that have hidden away technology that actually could be beneficial to our health care, to our ability to travel, to our ability to have um, a different kind of fuel source. So you know, there, there's a lot to be said about, a lot of questions about why withhold information and technology that could be so beneficial to the entire planet. Yeah. Um, So, well, some people say they already know everything, but I think if they actually did, they would be taking over the whole planet. So I don't think they really 
understand exactly what UFOs are. Maybe they do. I don't know. No, I think you're right because we've heard this again a lot of from a lot of our guests that they say that the military does not understand everything to do with UFOs. They don't. They they don't have all the pieces, and so they warned us: don't give them credit for knowing everything. They don't. That makes sense. Yeah, and I mean it's it's pretty complicated because people um, tell about things traveling through walls and going just too fast to imagine. Like with the Tic Tac, it had a force of like um, (laughs) 12,000 Gs and things like that are impossible. Um, You just, I don't think the military has anything like that. Yeah, we've also heard about ships that actually are alive, that are mind-controlled ships. We've we've heard all kinds of stories of technology that is absolutely unexplainable and also questions of how much of this is extraterrestrial and how much of this is interdimensional, being some other dimensionals, dimensions that are coming here. Um, and, you know, they blink in and blink out. There's There's a lot of questions about that as well. So, yeah, I agree. I don't think they know. They don't have all the pieces to this puzzle. But even if they did, why? what's the benefit of releasing it to the public? They've held it. They've played their cards close to the chest all these years for a reason. Well, I suppose and it would they, be a real big change in people's opinions if they, somebody came out and said, well, you're being spied on and we don't know what is doing it. But on the <laughs> yeah, the second hand, part, they probably don't ever want to admit, right? <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> so if we can do way past what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Again, I just see it as a, a, a power balance thing. It's like, well, if in fact that was revealed and people understood that, yes, their UFOs are real and, yes, there are beings that pilot them from other planets and other dimensions wouldn't even matter at that point, and they're way beyond us. We're way beyond our capabilities. I mean, what would that do to the government's power over us? That would change radically. Yeah, and maybe that's one reason they don't. Yeah, Um, I think so. But I I think, like I was working for the DIA in uh, identifying aircraft, and there wasn't anything um, like the people in my section told me that two of my supervisors told me that they had actually reported a UFO. And oh, wow. They showed me the thing on film and everything. And they said their supervisors told them that they didn't see it, that it was a flaw in the film, even though photographically it wasn't. And mm-hmm. I always wondered about that if there's some the place where I was classified, my supervisors, and I think they had, one of them was like a GS-14 or something, a real high, and they didn't seem to have any more knowledge of what was going on than I did because they said they just couldn't understand why their supervisors didn't pay attention to this. And so it made me think that somewhere up in the government there's somebody that knows about things, but it's way up and not very many people know. 
Yeah, that's that makes sense because every don't they do everything compartmentalized so the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, and it's one way of keeping secret secret. Yeah, they have a lot of ways of keeping secret secret. <laughs> oh, no. Do we want to know secret, more about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, we've we've really lost a lot of trust uh, through the years with all of our institutions, no matter what they are. But the government is right up at number one, and and I think this is one of the reasons why it's it's becoming well known that UFOs are real. They've even admitted that they're real, and so what's with the secrecy? Why not tell us what's going on? Why not share the technology? with the rest of us that could be beneficial. So these are the questions that we're hearing from our audience all the time about this issue. And it is discouraging that the government continues to just leak out tiny pieces of information rather than just coming out with, yes, these things are real, and we may not know everything about them. I mean, they may have to cover themselves a bit and say, but we have it handled, you know. Mm-hmm. And we know they won't, but, but yeah, people are pretty primitive, and if we had, you know, real destructive stuff, we'd have wars, and whoever had it would try to take over the world and everything. I don't think we're very advanced, so that if they gave us real high technology, I mean, I don't know if they're technological or anything else, but if we had, you know, if they gave high technology stuff to some group of people, well, these people would try to take over and kill people and all that because of all the wars that people have had. And we may be just too primitive to, I mean, they may just let us know that somebody's there but not give us, you know, land and say, well, here's how to do this. Well, there has been a lot said about the government isn't as involved as we may think in some ways, that it's actually the shadow government that has access to this, and corporations. So they may be the beneficiaries of all of this, and who in the world even knows who they are and what their motives are. So there's so many layers to this. I mean, it's just as deep as some of these installations out in the, you know, New Mexico that go down how many miles it's just a deep mm-hmm. a deep hole with with so much going on um and then every once in a while something gets leaked out or put out now lately more put out but there's so much to it it's concerning yeah and i get what you're saying that we don't want technology uh, to fall into the wrong hands however there there may be some beneficial things that we've heard about for energy, for food production, for health care, those types of things. I'm not talking about the weaponized issue, but those types of lifestyle enhancements that would make some sense. Yeah, and on the other hand, maybe we're supposed to develop ourselves and get to there, too, <laughs> instead of having anybody hand it to us. Yeah, it would be nice if we could. I don't see that happening <laughs> well, at least not very quickly. Fighting. I mean, you know, if you spent the same amount of energy in health advances as we have in wars, we'd 
you know, be a lot better off. Oh, gosh, you're not kidding. Yes, for sure. Goodness. Yeah, our healthcare system needs a lot of, it's on life support right now. We need to, to make some definite changes there. And, I mean, we've heard all kinds of predictions from guests on our show that the next big change will happen this year to do with new healthcare technology that involves light and sound, you know, more non-invasive ways of treating people. Mm-hmm. That would be fascinating if that could actually happen. It'd be great for so many people. So, yeah, I mean, again, it just it, it concerns all of our audience members who are interested in this topic, as well as us, that it doesn't help to be lied to. And I keep going back to President Kennedy's quote about there's no place for this kind of thing in a free society, but yet we are dealing with it consistently with UFOs and people who have been abducted and have had experiences with these off-world beings and off-world crafts. Yeah, and you basically, it may be a much more complex than, you know, they're saying craft and things like that, like they're technological things. Well, it may be something a lot more like um, the quantum theory or quantum mechanics instead of like Newtonian mechanics. There may be mm-hmm. just something a lot more advanced than our brain cells are set up to understand. Well, yeah. I mean, let's go back to your experience as a small child with your sister where this thing gets into your room, the windows are closed, the doors are closed, and it it wanders around your room <laughs> and <Yeah>. somehow <laughs> it makes contact Surprise. with you and your sister. Yeah, it's like, wow, that is the type of technology that is difficult to understand. Well, it's it's very, very tiny. And I had dreams, well, afterwards when I was a kid, before I heard of UFOs too, about airplanes that would, they could change size. They would be small or they could look big. And it would just be the way you saw them. But they could be any size, appear to be any size to you. And so (laughs) that was sort of a funny dream, but I dreamed it several times. And I kind of wondered about the little thing I was seeing if people understand size and um, length and things like that and time and space and everything like that. Because yeah. it it's, doesn't make sense in the quantum theory at all. Yeah, I think things are very different than how we think they really are. So there's a lot that needs to change about our perception before we can even under, begin to understand these things. Yeah, and but we it, should understand them now. When you had your second experience with your sister, did did you guys have missing time? Did you think you were you had a more of a close encounter of the fifth kind with that event on the highway? I don't know because we were interviewed by Bud Hopkins, and he said to make a timeline, and it seemed like we got back to New York a lot later than we should have, a lot later. But neither of us remember anything like that. And he tried hypnotizing me, and I don't hypnotize at all. I don't go into a trance or anything else. And neither of us remembered anything like that. So it's just hard to say. 
Oh, boy. And we don't mm. know. <laughs> yeah, so you may have a memory locked away in there, but you can't yeah, be retrieved through hypnosis. Neither. <laughs> if oh, we my do, goodness. neither one of us has gotten to it. So. We're going to have to put you under sodium amytal. That's all there is to it, Irina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, tell us more about what you discovered about UFOs and your research. Well, um, I thought that what I talked, what I just talked about with the Battelle study, that that might have been the best ever disclosure that ever happened, and nobody knew anything happened about it. I was thinking I should have, in my book, I should have done a separate. Um, chapter on disclosure because that was better in some ways than ever before because this was an official document that was a whistleblower left around so people could find it but it was official they never you know with the rest of them they said oh maybe this is real and maybe it's not or something like that but this was official and it also showed that the government was lying quite plainly now, this is the one that you said the government destroyed all the copies of it? No, the one, the uh, Pinnacle memo from Mattel, where they where right before the Robertson panel took, uh, was to meet, the people from Mattel said, our data isn't ready. And they had the, they went ahead and had the Robertson panel, even though they didn't have good data. And they, the Robertson panel declared, well, UFOs are, you know, basically they said they don't exist and make fun of any, anybody that reports them and things like that. Right. The government was uh, lying. They were doing a secret study to find out what they were, while at the same time they were saying they don't exist to the public. Now, this study that you talk about that is actual proof, is that available anywhere or is that locked away? Yeah, the study was published. Um, it was. Uh huh. Much later than they expected. It's uh, Special Report 14 from Project Blue Book. Okay. It didn't. It didn't make the news much at all, though, because it was just highly scientific and a whole pages and pages and pages of statistics and things, and so the average reader or the reporter wouldn't have understood anything about it. And then in their summary, they said, oh, we didn't find anything. Well, they did find something. And it was uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee went over it in detail and said, yes, they found a whole lot. There was a whole lot of significance in the data. And I recalculated, and I thought there was a whole lot of significance but um, they did, after the whistleblower blower blew, well, they seemed to maybe change some statistics and make it look like it wasn't significant and change the oh. um, the summary and say, oh, nothing, we didn't find anything, when they actually did. So they went back over the report and pretended like they didn't find something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ugh. That's pretty sneaky. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So it would dissuade someone uh, of going any further if they read this in the preface. Yeah, Dr. Bruce McAbee wrote a publication in the, um, just in a second, I'll look it up. I can get a copy of it just a second. Okay. Why does that name sound so familiar, PK, Dr. McAbee? I don't know, and I'm thinking the same thing. Well, he's written several books, UFOs, and he's a doctor. It was called Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14 with a historical introduction by Dr. Bruce McAbee, published by the Center for UFO Studies. And he went over their statistics and showed, you know, that they actually found significant significance. Hmm. But then they, after that, they did some little fudgy type things with their statistics and said, oh, no, we didn't find significance. Ugh. Yeah, it just it gets it gets hard to separate the wheat from the chaff here in this field. But there's no doubt they're real. That part we know. That part we understand. Who's piloting these crafts? That's something we guess are mm-hmm. ETs. And also we've learned a lot from people that have had these types of experiences and returned to Earth in one piece, and they're able to give us their full story on what happened. And a lot of them do say yes, well, like Betty Hill. I mean, Betty was Betty had a conversation with these ETs. They told her where they were from, and it was a, another star system. And she identified the star that they were talking about it had and there was some planet I forget the the entire story but you probably remember that she identified something in the sky that no astronomer had discovered yet it was discovered years later after her abduction mm-hmm. yeah i think a woman named marjorie fish before they had computers and everything made a model and um it sort of saw the star system but since they, I think now that they have computers and everything, they can figure out things a lot better. And, um, yeah, I think they did discover some things. It wasn't real clear, though. But I think, you know, that was, like, considered good information. Yeah. Yes, it, I think it definitely was. I think her name was Marjorie Fish, and she tried to make a scale model of the um, of where the location of the stars, different stars in the universe were. And she went to a lot of work, and finally she found something that looked like what Betty Hill had made the diagram of. I mean, it was a lot of work, and before they had computers. Oh yeah, it would have been for sure. But Betty's story and her husband's story that came out under hypnosis, as well as they had significant missing time, I mean, that, that was a real, um, real exciting time for people that follow UFO history because um, they, they were credible witnesses. They had nothing to gain from sharing their story, mm-hmm. which I have to say is true about any UFO abductee, uh, <laughs> there's really no upside to telling your story. It's it's uh, a very difficult position to be in. Yeah, because you can't prove it. And so, um, 
you know, it, when my sister and I came back from our experience, we told our roommates about it, and they didn't believe us at all. And, like, if we had been in a car accident and reported a car accident, well, they would have believed us. But we saw mm-hmm. what we saw, and mm-hmm. they didn't believe us just because it wasn't something, you know, like a normal thing to happen. Right. I mean, Right. I'll tell you, one of the stories that we we heard on the show, we had um, Carl Higdon and his wife, Marjorie, on our show. And his story was was really uh, something you could not dismiss because there was lab work taken, blood work taken, um, that proved that his blood had become super enriched by um, his experience with these ETs and all kinds of other proof that that turned up and he happened to live in a town a small town out west and people respected him they knew who he was he wasn't somebody who would make up a story like this so um it was interesting when they talked to us about it It was one of the first times we heard somebody say yeah everybody in the town supported us because they knew carl and they they knew he wasn't a bullshitter that he really did have this experience and they all got behind him one of the few, very few times we heard that. Well, I'm working with somebody like that too. On have you heard of the Pascagoula abduction? Yes. Oh, sure. Well, I'm working with that, and um, uh, that happened to <coughs> Calvin Parker and Charlie Hicks, and um, they were. Uh, really harassed and everything about you know everybody saying it's not true and things, and I've been uh, I wrote the afterwards of their most recent book, and I've been interviewing a lot of other people from Pascagoula, and there was a lot of things going on at that time. I mean, other people saw things too, mm-hmm. and actually, my next book is going to be called Beyond Pascagoula. And it's about many, 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 many other things that happened at the same time as their experience. Well, we can't wait to read that. That sounds fascinating because that's a very big case. Yeah. Very and interesting it's good. It's good. for us to find out about. Mm-hmm. It's getting now, are better both all the time. Of, are, are both of those gentlemen... Yeah. Still alive? No, just one of them is. Just one. Okay, so I thought, yeah. Oh my goodness. This one didn't talk about it for years and years and years. He just didn't want to talk about it, but he finally decided to. Well, thank goodness. They had a remarkable experience, and yeah. So this will be a wonderful story to hear from you. Um, what's what's going to be the name of it? Beyond Pascagoula is that the name of the book? It will be called Beyond Pascagoula, the rest of an amazing story. Great. Please let us know when that comes out, because we'll have you back on the show to talk about that. Okay. Well, it's been pretty interesting, because I've talked to a lot of people from Pascagoula and other places, and a lot happened at the same time as their abduction and around the same time. I mean, there were a lot of other sightings of UFOs and things, and... 
some pretty weird experiences. Well, we cannot wait to hear all about that, that's for sure. And, again, I want to mention some of your other books because you've got some great books here, UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Disinformation, and Government Cover-Up, Inside the Lightning Ball, and Sacred Corridors, Secrets Behind the Real Project Blue Book. I mean, you're a real expert in this field, Dr. Scott, and we're so grateful that you were able to come on and join us on the air tonight. So, and share your very personal experiences with your sister. Those are amazing. So, yep. we thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a I'm joy. very glad to be here, and thanks for having me. Our pleasure. We'll look forward with your new book. Absolutely. Thank so, you. just keep us posted. And everybody will be back next week with another show. We're going to take a turnaround and do something on health, all about your blood type and how that affects your health. So, with everybody so concerned about staying healthy, we thought it would be great to talk about that next week with a doctor coming on to join us. So, until then, everyone, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.